the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Nah, man, you see how good I look? Nothing signifies that more than a pinch hitter winning the game. They shouldn't have played the old Golden Blue. Not this night. Yes, sir. Not this night. I feel cold. I feel wet. But I feel like a winner. What is Tingus Tingus? That's the problem. I'm right back. Let's go. Welcome to Panhandle Sports Live, the premier home for all things sport in the Eastern Panhandle. He's across midfield. He's into the open field. Touchdown, Martinsburg. On the first play from scrimmage for Washington, has put six points on the board from 88 yards out. Hear from the coaches and players that make the Eastern Panhandle the place for sports in the state of West Virginia. This kid, he's got silver bullets. And it's a two-possession lead for the Appleman. Gets a high snap. Robinson trying to get to the outside. Makes a trick move. Gets to the inside. Keyshawn Robinson. Touchdown, Cougars. Be a part of the conversation on today's show by texting at 304-263-4321. The throw not in time. Hedgesville's going to Charleston. He's down the sideline. Touchdown, Aiden Cade. Touchdown, Drive. Oh, my goodness. Three to shoot. Runner in the lane. It's in. Shepard wins. Shepard wins at the buzzer. The Spring Mills Cardinals, 18-0 to finish the regular season. Now, live from the Hoppy Kerchival building in historic Martinsburg. Get your popcorn ready. Panhandle Sports Live is on the air. Well, boys, they let us get the Friday again. It is Panhandle Sports Live for the second day of February 2024, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building and plenty of to-, to talk about over the next hour. I'm Luke Wiggs, Parker Stone, Daniel Woods alongside. Gentlemen, good morning. How are we doing? Doing well. Spring is on the way, apparently. Officially. Adam Schefter reporting. It's it's on the way. Puxitani Phil did not see his shadow, so we are heading towards an early spring and I think I could speak for all of us and say we were all very, very excited for that, for the warm weather to get back around here. Man, don't tell me to listen to some groundhog. Uh, we only accept the uh, the opinions of, what is it? French, French Creek Freddy, Freddy French and Creek French Freddy. Creek Freddy alone. There hey, now, don't, don't be hating on Concord Charlie one and time. We, you heard all the controversy. I, I could not believe my ears when so much of Metro News Talk Line yesterday was devoted to the well-being of, uh, of French Creek Freddy. Hey, man, there is one place, one place, that the spring prediction is coming from that I will listen to, and it's Lewis County. <laughs> Get on board. It's it's the oracle of predicting the so weather. So for you, for your non-Poxitani Phil truthers, we'll we'll have to wait and see what uh, French Creek Freddy has to say. I have no idea when that happens. Freddy twenty twenty four. Oh, there you go. The split ticket with him and Baby Dog. As always, you can text us, 304-263-4321. Your texts are appreciated. We've got some girls basketball to talk about, some scores from last night. We'll preview tonight's action um, and what's going on this weekend as well. The Baltimore Orioles shocking Major League Baseball with a pretty significant deal to get a pretty significant piece. We'll talk about that too. Um, we will not talk about the Pro Bowl very much because why would we want to talk about the Pro Bowl? But we'd love to talk about anything that you guys want us to talk about, so hit us on the text line again. Three zero four two six three four three two one. Now I want to start on a little bit of a different note, uh, mostly because I want to make sure we talk about this today. The Mountaineers are in action tomorrow. They take on a ranked BYU team as WVU continues to try to find their identity. This game will have a major significance 
not just because of what's going on in the court. Mountaineers playing BYU in uh, conference play is certainly a crazy thing to talk about uh, in the year of our Lord 2024, but it'll also be the final game wearing the headset uh, for one Jay Jacobs. And this is going to be a really interesting weekend uh, for those that are familiar with Jay Jacobs, longtime broadcaster and color commentator, uh, first with the voice of the Mountaineers, Jack Fleming, and then most recently with Tony Caridis, a great article written on the WVU Athletics page um, about Jay Jacobs, who, you know, I grew up around those broadcasts. I grew up around Jay and his family and, you know, what he's meant for WVU basketball, the personality and the color, literally and figuratively, he's been able to bring to those broadcasts. Um, Daniel Woods, it, it, it's certainly the end of an era Jay Jacobs will be incredibly missed on broadcasts. We congratulate him on his retirement, but it's it's just going to be different um, hearing Tony not call games with Jay. You talk about people being one of a kind and they're not being anybody like an individual person. You could say absolutely for a fact that once Jay Jacobs is, is gone from the announce booth 100%, no one that steps into that position is going to bring to the table what he brought, just an entirely unique person and uh, someone that uh, came up in an era of broadcasting that a lot of guys from that era are not on the airwaves anymore. And it's a different approach to things. And there's a, a different kind of attitude that, that Jay Jacobs brings to a broadcast that we're not going to here anymore and that's that's kind of a, a little bit of a weird thing to say but it's uh it's it's definitely going to be a, a perspective kind of moment uh this weekend when when he puts on the headset for the last time but uh again somebody that has made an indelible impact on uh, everything going on uh with with wvu basketball over the years whether that's that's on the court or off of it or you know the way that that people take in West Virginia basketball. Jay Jacobs has has left a mark on that that I don't think we can really forget. You know, it's uh, it's interesting because there's a local connection as well. He lives in Frederick, Maryland, and would commute two and a half hours to Morgantown every game um, and for the coaches' show as well and to go on road trips. Uh, and it's going to be a bittersweet weekend, or sweet weekend, not just because Jay Jacobs is going to be honored his final game at BYU, but his long-standing scoring record, the all-time leading scorer at Morgantown High is Jay Jacobs. And for people unfamiliar with his background, I uh, was a member of the WVU basketball program for a while as a teammate of Jerry West. But his scoring record is most likely going to fall this weekend to Sharon Young. Uh, so Jay Jacobs coming up for more than one reason. Um, and again, we congratulate him on his retirement. It's, it's not going to be the same. I'll tell you this. Um, one of my favorite things about getting plugged in with you know what was the MSN crew and now Metro News is the stories of about Woody O'Hara and Jack Fleming and Jay Jacobs and many of which can't be told on the air. But uh, I, I promise you, Jay is one of the most unique personalities uh, in all of broadcasting and a special corner of West Virginia broadcasting history. So my apologies there for a little bit of a rabbit trail to lead off the show. If you have any thoughts. On Jay Jacobs, let us know, 304-263-4321. But Parker Stone, we had some high school girls basketball played last night. Um, in the EPAC, Martinsburg was able to defeat Spring Mills. This Spring Mills team's gotten a lot better from the start of the year until now. They lose by eight. Martinsburg picks up the victory there. Ronnie Fitzpatrick also doing very good things for a Martinsburg team that wants to be tough heading into the postseason. Musselman had a decisive victory, 30-point victory over Hedgesville, 55-24, or 25, I should say. 
Uh, the Lady Appleman are now 12 and 3. Sarah Price goes for 14 points, 13 for Jasmine Morris. Um, and then elsewhere, you had James Wood outscoring Washington 16 to 7 in the fourth quarter uh, to beat the Patriots by a couple of points uh, last night, the Lady Patriots, mind you. And uh, you had St. Maria Goretti defeating Jefferson. Some of your kind of broad takeaways again. Um, you had Jefferson going down, Washington going down to out-of-conference opponents, out-of-state opponents, uh, and then EPAC victories both for Martinsburg and Musselman. Well, I think maybe the overall take from all this is that is Washington still that team that we think is one of the top two or maybe the top team in this conference right now? I think it's time we can ask the question. I know they've had some tough out of out of state and out of conference opponents. James Wood's pretty tough this year. They get swept by them this season, but James Wood is nine and eleven on their season. So not sure where the discrepancy is. This is a Washington team that's eight and seven now, but they do have the head to head win over Musselman, who has the better record overall this season. They've had the ability to play good teams overall. They get a series with Martinsburg coming up in the month of February as well, plus that return matchup with Musselman coming up on the twelfth of this month. But overall, I think really it's just is this out-of-state schedule and the out-of-conference schedule, is it preparing Washington for where they need to be? They've been battle-tested. The record shows maybe up and down, but are they a team that's still top two and a team we think can still go to Charleston? Because this Martinsburg team is now 11-2. and two. They've been playing really good basketball overall, and they've been playing solid, and then we've known what Mosselman's doing. We had Coach Potter on yesterday. They're playing a really good defensive brand of basketball. But with Washington, they do have the head-to-head conference win over Musselman, and they do got to play the series against Martinsburg in that return trip against Musselman. But I think now more than ever, I think we can probably throw the question out there and say maybe we don't know who the top team overall on the girls' side is. It You could argue Musselman. You could argue Martinsburg with the record they have right now. Or you can argue Washington, the team that looks the best overall from last season to this season and what they've been really tested with. I think that's the biggest takeaway. We still, I think on today's date, February 2nd, we still probably don't know who the top overall team on the girls' side of this conference really is. So, and when we had Luke Samples on on Wednesday talking about boys' basketball and the EPAC, Daniel, he mentioned each corner of the state kind of having its own brand of basketball and said that he felt defense was the calling card for a lot of teams in the Eastern Panhandle. The same could be said for the boys' side on the girls' side of things as well because Musselman is coming off of a conference game where they hold a conference opponent to 25 points, and it doesn't matter who that opponent is. That's incredibly impressive. Martinsburg holding Spring Mills under 40. You know, those two teams, and we've seen a high level of ball pressure from Washington. Uh, Defense really sets the key and and sets the tone in the EPAC. You're right, and I said it from the beginning of the year. I think everybody was looking out for Washington for sure. You thought Musselman could take a step forward. You saw what Martinsburg had last year. My thought process with that Martinsburg team really from the beginning was – the defense is here. Ronnie Fitzpatrick is going to coach this team uh, to a level to get stops. They're going to mix up looks. They're they're going to be able to stop people from scoring. If they can put the ball in the basket consistently, they have a chance to, to be in that top tier of teams out here. The same goes for Musselman as they've really brought everything together. And we talked to Tim Potter yesterday, and he talked about how important getting his players to buy in has been. And that really does start on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, and then you just have a Washington team that's got so many guards that are so quick out on the perimeter that can just create some chaos uh, that 
you're right. A, a lot of these teams really thrive on turning defense into offense. So, you know what they say, defense travels, and that's going to make for some really competitive games down the stretch here. Like Parker said, we still got two matchups between uh, Washington and Martinsburg coming up. We get the rematch between Washington and Musselman. It's going to be a really interesting finish to the season. And again, I, I feel like I'm going to sound like a broken record with this because I've said it so many times about boys basketball. But the first round home court advantage is going to be really, really important when we get to sectional play. By the way, the recaps of uh, both the, the Martinsburg uh, victory uh, in that game uh, where Cadence Bradley was the leading scorer for Martinsburg going for 17 points in their victory against Spring Mills, written by Ellie Colbert in today's edition of the Martinsburg Journal. And Rick Kozlowski uh, talking all things with the other matchup as well. Um, you're able to find the recaps of those games in, again, today's edition of the Martinsburg Journal. Let's go ahead and get to this first break. When we return, want to take a peek to our broadcast schedule tonight and this weekend. We've got high school boys basketball on tonight, Shepard doubleheader on tomorrow, and as I mentioned a little bit later on in the show, we're going to talk some Orioles baseball because they really shook up this offseason with the move they made last night. Uh, that comes your way along with more on Panhandle Sports Live. Mix up your sports coverage with Panhandle Sports Live. Heard on the Panhandle News Network. Keeping the ball rolling, it's Panhandle Sports Live on this Friday. Luke Wiggs, Parker Stone, Daniel Woods hanging out with you. Myself, Daniel Woods, will have the pleasure of calling some EPAC boys basketball tonight. Musselman takes on Hedgesville. The game will tip off at 7.30. You can hear it right here on WEPM and WCSD. Daniel, when you look at the game tonight, is it fair to say that these are the two stylistic outliers of the EPAC conference? You've got a Hedgesville team that wants to play that very deliberate style, slow pace, only really go six or seven deep on their bench and then you've got a Musselman team that's got that huge front court that wants to be a post-centric team unique styles old school styles that we're going to see tonight this game may be first one to 40 yeah uh, because 30. and that's really the way it felt when these two teams played for the first time in Inwood and it was a really good basketball game uh, so when it comes down to it I don't necessarily know that it's a clash of styles but it is still uh, the kind of game where one of these teams is going to assert itself really with where more of its strengths are and then come out on top. For Hedgesville, again, despite the, the slower pace, this team finds its strengths in its defense. It finds its strengths in forcing opponents into long possessions, bad shots, and then taking it the other way and deliberately finding an open look, whether that's Tay Wilmer from three-point range, whether that's somebody getting into the lane. Uh, it really is a, a deliberate process for this Hedgesville team. On the other side, Musselman, not necessarily as deliberate. They just want to play inside out. So I, I think you'll see Musselman move the ball a little bit more quickly. You'll see Colton Shelton pushing the ball up the floor, and you've got athletic bigs uh, in Troy Wollaston and in Santa Maria and Matt Mahood that are going to run to the rim and try to get easy buckets, even in transition, whereas once you do get into the half court, you can throw it into one of those guys. More than likely with the way that Hedgesville plays defense, they'll try to collapse in there, and then that gives open opportunities on the perimeter for guys like Logan Shelton and Gavin McClain to knock down shots, and we know that Gavin McClain's been knocking down a lot of big shots lately, so... Uh, when it comes to it, it is going to be a slower-paced game than probably you're going to see from a lot of EPAC opponents this year. Uh, but I, I don't think it will be an, 
a, a game that's not entertaining uh, because, again, it is a little bit of a clash of styles. Well, Parker Stone, your thoughts. Obviously, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the tallest player on the floor tonight is going to be an eagle and Quincy Pitsnoggle, but then the next three are Appleman, and it seems as though you know one of them will come up and have a really big performance on any given night, but if two of those bigs really pop off at the same time, you mentioned the three-point shooting ability of Gavin McClain, which I also think is a huge pivot point for Musselman hit that corner three that ended up being the decisive bucket in the university game. Parker Stone, your thoughts on the matchup tonight? Getting to the rim is going to be very difficult in this game. I think it's going to be the biggest takeaway for me. We know about the towers they have at Musselman with Wollaston, Santa Maria, and Mahood playing around that pivot in the middle. And then you've got a guy like Quincy Pitsnoggle who's a couple shades off of being six foot ten at this point. And it's going to be fun. It's two teams that I think are trying to really put their foot in the ground and really be chasers in that second tier I think of teams right now in the conference and I think the winner of this game is has the best shot out of the teams I think there's a tier break right now between Spring Mills who I think is in their own tier and then you have Martinsburg and Jefferson who are in their own tier with the Bulldogs pulling away most recently with a sweep in the series and then you've got kind of a mess, I think you can call it, between Hedgesville, Musselman, and Washington right now. Those those three are trying to establish ground and be that team that could push to try and compete in a sectional or regional final. I give the edge to Hedgesville slightly in that category because they've swept Washington this season. And then you've got Musselman that's had some really bright moments as well. The win over University being a solid one for the Sappleman team. So I think the winner of this matchup tonight is going to have, I think, solid ground to stake a claim as being probably that fourth-seeded position right now in the conference overall. And it's going to be fun to see how both these teams style in their clashes and matchups. Two great coaches and Coach Kelly Church and Coach Derek Basile. Excited to see the chess game between those two. And it'll be a fun one tonight. I'm really excited to check it out. Well, again, that comes your way tonight at 730. Musselman taking on Hedgesville and some boys' hoops. We've got college hoops tomorrow. Parker Stone, I'll stick with you. Uh, because you're calling the women's game tomorrow as Shepard takes on East Stroudsburg. And, you know, Shepard took two huge steps forward with the first, call it, winning streak under Coach Coffin, consecutive victories for the first time in her tenure in just her second year, and then kind of fell a little bit flat against Kutztown, got run off the floor. What are your thoughts going into an East Stroudsburg matchup where it was just an eight-point loss when you played the Warriors in the regular season, 84-76, that was back on January 6th, what are your thoughts about what you want to see from Shepard individuals or as a team as a whole to kind of have a, a bounce back, even if it's not a victory, a bounce back performance to kind of flush a performance like Kutztown? Well, looking at standings right now in the PSAC for the women's side of things with the loss to Kutztown, Shepard's now at a little bit of a distance from where they would be as the last team to make it into the conference tournament right now. That last spot's held by Millersville and East Stroudsburg, who are at a tie right now in conference play at 5-9, and nine, and Shepard's sitting at 3-11 and 11 in conference play right now. So you pull a win off here, it gets you that much closer. And I we've all had the conversation. If this team can find a way to get itself towards the back end of the conference tournament and sneak in towards the end of the season, that's a massive win in year two under Coach Coffin. But again, you look at the East Stroudsburg game, the first time these two teams matched up back on January 6th in the Butcher Center, it was a game that I think Shepard had every chance in the world to win. There were moments where they looked good. There were moments where they looked flat. It was just inconsistent. I think that's the biggest thing that this team needs to improve on through the month of February, just find 
finding that consistency because they can do it. This team has it in them. They're consistent with it. It was back and forth between East Stroudsburg and Shepard the first go round. Kind of a slow start. They got down 20 to 12, rallied back, won the second quarter 23 to 19. But then East Stroudsburg came out of the second half and that's where the biggest advantage was for East Stroudsburg, 24 to 18. They really took that game away in the third quarter. And that's what it boils down to. I think the thir- first and third quarters for this team is where the biggest improvement needs to come from. Starting strong and coming out of the locker room strong. If they're able to do that on the road against East Stroudsburg, they're able to pull out a win, I think. And it would be a massive win, too, if they're able to find a way, get momentum, get one game closer to getting into talking position for being a team that could get into the conference tournament. If you're able to beat East Stroudsburg, I think we can talk about that being a real possibility. If not, then I think we might have to put that on hold till maybe 2024-25 basketball season. But again, the strides are there with this team. And any Stroudsburg team that's, I think, very, very, very beatable, they got every chance in the world, too. But again, first and third quarters are going to be absolute key for this team. By the way, I mentioned the text line. A texter, uh, in reference to that Musselman-Hedgesville game, says the game might come down to free throws and Musselman struggles to hit foul shots. Uh, and that was a problem with them not being able to put away university. I know that was a problem in that game against Jefferson. They struggled to hit a couple of shots down the line, so that is a good point by the texter. Now, Daniel Woods, you're going to have the call of the men's game. When Shepard and East Stroudsburg played each other uh, at the Butcher Center back on January 6th, 93 seconds left to play in the first half. This was a two-point game. And then East Stroudsburg hits a three to go into the break and then came out of the locker room and really kind of built a significant second-half lead and distanced themselves away from Shepard. East Stroudsburg, as we've seen, is the top team or one of the top teams in Shepard's division of the PSAC. They're 18-2, 12-2 in conference play, had an undefeated run through their non-conference schedule, and they averaged 90 points per game. However, this team, when we saw them, is incredibly beatable. You know, this is a team that, with Lakeem McAlilly, is one of the most talented players in the conference. He's an easy player to get under his skin. And I do like the way this roster is constructed. I think they're well coached, but they're a little bit undersized. They want to get out and run. Shepard was able to throw just a a number of off-speed pitches in the first half of that game to keep them off balance. I'm sure that will be the key again. But my takeaways, I don't know about yours, is if you're going into this matchup as an underdog, I am sure – but I would not going. I would go into this game with a tremendous amount of confidence that you can stand toe to toe with the Warriors. You were really competitive in that first game, and that was a stretch of time with that that Shepherd men's basketball team that I think we've seen played out a few times this year, where for one reason or another they didn't close the first half well, and that kind of flipped the game around. And I think that's really what happened in that first matchup with East Stroudsburg, but. Uh, you're right. You look at this East Stroudsburg team, and there are flaws. There are things you can attack. And, and like you said, with the way that they play, the way they want to get up and down, I think the key for Shepard in this game is controlling the pace. Whoever sets the tone in this game in the first half is probably going to win it. Uh, like you said, East Stroudsburg puts up a ton of points. They play a lot of guys. They want to play fast. It's really, you know, we'll send you out there for four minutes, give me 100% for four minutes, we'll bring you back out, sit you down for two, and then send you back in. Uh, So as it comes together for the Shepard team, you don't have the luxury of doing that. You don't have the luxury of playing eight or nine guys at least 15 minutes a game like East Stroudsburg has done this year. Uh, So when it comes down to that opportunity, you need to control the pace. And Justin Amlick said after the win on Wednesday against Kutztown when it was their full court pressure that really flipped things uh, and allowed them to go on a huge run to, to retake the lead and eventually win by 20 on the road. 
They have the ability to get up and pressure people, but right now he doesn't feel like they have the depth to do that consistently for 40 minutes. So I think what you're going to see based on that awareness from Justin Amlick is you're going to see this Shepard team play very deliberately in the half court, try to get really good shots, try to get really good shots late in the shot clock as well. And eventually, if they get sped up, I think you're going to see the Shepard team compete, but they're going to be better if they can slow this pace down and play this game more in the 50s and 60s than the 80s or 90s where East Stroudsburg wants to run it up to. Do you guys see a world where you'd be comfortable with Shepard next season being a team that presses a lot? Because Justin Namlick talked about their ability to do that with the talent that they have, not necessarily the depth, and that's why they don't. However... Let me ask you this question, because I think we might get different answers. You get, Well, obviously, we've seen the way this roster is put together, and I'm happy with a lot of the different players' abilities to guard the ball. Um, rank one through three, the top three you feel on-ball defenders that the Shepard team has. To me, it, to me, it might be Banks, Cooper, Jordan, but I'd like to get your guys' thoughts. I think it's a mix of that three. I, I think that's my point. I think it's going to be those three, anyways. Yes. Yeah. I just I'm curious what your guys' order would be. I, it's close. I think Marcus Banks really won me over with how he really put pressure against Pagan against Kutztown this past Wednesday. I I would think I would slide him at one in that case. I think Philip Jordan right now is my two, just because he has the speed and yeah. just that burst for him to go and catch back up if he ever gets behind in a press look, he can get right back just with the speed he has. And I, I think Michael Cooper's in that discussion as well. But Damoclean Corley's an underrated defender as well. We don't talk about that enough with the size and length he has. But I think Michael Cooper right now, just with the ability he has too, and he's still learning the And position. he's versatile. Yeah, he, he can do a lot of things for positions. you. But I, I think you're right in that I, ranking. I guess I say that to say, to me, what do you think, Daniel? I mean, obviously PJ's going to be in the top three. <laughs> but my, my point is, though, you get Brody Davis back next year, who's a guard, and you've got two guards coming in next year's class. But... You're losing Philip Jordan, who's a top three on ball defender. And then I think that a lot of us would agree that number four is either Gerard Robinson or Daniel McLean Corley. Would you be comfortable with this team being press heavy next year, knowing that they're losing Philip Jordan to graduation? It's going to depend on what the guys you bring in in this recruiting class are able to do. And like you said, they're both more, more perimeter oriented players, uh, but the idea of Marcus Banks and Michael Cooper chasing people 94 yeah. feet for 40 minutes is really intriguing for me. Absolutely. Uh, and, and Brody Davis is a guy uh, that you're going to get back next year, and it feels like Brody Davis is becoming this almost mythical creature yeah. on this show where yeah. no no one has seen this guy really other than the, the two of us who saw him play in high school. But uh, at, at a certain point, uh, you got to think uh, he's – 6'3", 6'4", kind of sneaky athletic with what he's able to do, and I think he would fit well into a look like that using his length to pressure the ball. So I think you'll have the pieces there to do it, but again, it's not even a matter for me of do you have the guys that can do it? Because I think you're going to have the guys that can do it. Are you going to have enough guys that can do it right. to where you can do it for 40 minutes? And I think that's the biggest sticking point for Justin Namlick right now, and that's the biggest sticking point for me as well. Well, uh, go ahead, Parker. I think if they had the depth, I think they would do it. Well, that's, that really was the point I was so. trying to make. Yeah. I mean, you're losing two defenders, but you're gaining two, and then Brody and Aiden Hewley and, in theory, Ariel Godot are all going to come back. I think it's really going to depend on it through next year's class if they have, because we've talked about three guys who can do it in Banks, Jordan, and Cooper. 
if they can find that third person to consistently play that role, it may be Gerard Robinson next year, or it could be a freshman they have to bring in. Maybe it's Brody Davis. I, I'm not too sure. And, but. and I want to be clear. like I think Brody's a very good player. It's not just the talent of Brody Davis that makes me think he can come back and have an impact. It's who his high school coach was. Because yeah. Dave Tallman players can all facilitate. They can all guard multiple positions. And we already know that he's a very good shooter. But you're right. I mean, he's only played three games in college, so – he needs to get his legs underneath him. It was an adjustment period. Ironically, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up having a very similar track, not in terms of how they play, but the confidence of Michael Cooper. Michael Cooper played three or four games last year, got hurt, came back this year, and really got off to a slow start because he was lacking confidence. And I could see Brody Davis doing the same and then evolve um, into a player that can get some pretty good minutes for this team. We've got a break to take when we return, like I mentioned the Baltimore Orioles made a pretty significant move yesterday. We're going to break that down next on Panhandle Sports Live. Want to revisit an episode of Panhandle Sports Live? Follow the Panhandle News Network on Spotify today. Welcome back, Panhandle Sports Live here on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, which coincidentally uh, is one of your main locations for Baltimore Orioles baseball, the OG affiliate the oldest affiliate not named wbl that emanates orioles baseball uh is wepm martinsburg and wcst berkeley springs uh and the o's did something pretty significant yesterday a blockbuster trade in major league baseball acquiring 2021 cy young winner corbin burns uh in a deal where the orioles send back dl hall joey ortiz um and a pick as well uh, guys as we look at this orioles team and they had expressed interest in adding a front-of-the-rotation starter. Uh, it was just something, again, we talked about the Angelos' unwillingness to spend money that they weren't going to go out and get a top guy. Immediately we talk about new ownership, and immediately Corbin Burns is in the door. Now, let's start by this. There's a lot of different angles I want to attack this from, but let's start with simply this. I have no idea what Milwaukee's doing here. Milwaukee takes the most talented, consistent pitcher in baseball over the last three years, and they trade him for a 25-year-old D.L. Hall who, at this point in his career, has almost completely made the decision that he's going to try to be a long reliever. People have said that people hope he can be the next Josh Hader, but he's got a two-pitch mix, his slider's not that good, and he never developed into the front-of-the-line arm that he was drafted to be. Joey Ortiz is very good defensively, but he was not going to find the field in Baltimore right away. I mean, you could make the argument he was the fourth shortstop, and he's not going to be the starting shortstop in Milwaukee either. That's Willie Adamas. He might start at third, and he might come off the bench. And then you get a, a first-round pick as well in the mix there. But again, guys, I don't understand how, and I understand he's on an expiring contract. That was the best offer they can get. We're going to look at this from the optimistic Orioles standpoint and, and talk about what this means for them because it means a lot. But before we do that, I, what in the world was Milwaukee doing? They completely blew any chance, in my opinion, they had of winning the NL Central, which is by far the easiest division in baseball. Yeah, I, I there's I've questioned a lot of things that the Milwaukee Brewers have been doing recently. I mean, they traded Josh Hader for a package of lace chips, and what yeah, what, what do they have to show for the Josh exactly. Hader trade? Exactly. Not much. Well, they, they flipped one of those pieces for William Contreras. Well, again, but it's not. I don't think that's worth the return for Josh Hader. You traded the best reliever in baseball and the best starting pitcher in baseball, and what do you have to show for it? 
and now you've got a rotation that a couple years ago people were calling the Milwaukee Brewers the best pitching staff in baseball. You've the lost, best front end of their pitching staff. Oh absolutely. yeah, absolutely. And you got Woodruff, who I believe's not on the team right now because he's been dealing with injury problems. Burns just got traded. You sent Hader away last year to San Diego. And their Fre- opening day starter is going to probably be Freddie Peralta. It's going to be Freddie Peralta. And I love Freddie Peralta, but he's not an opening day starter. No, he's not. No, he's the, not. I'm looking at uh, roster resource right now. Projects the rotation to be Freddie Peralta, Wade Miley, Colin Ray, Joe Ross, and D.L. Hall. And as somebody that is a lifelong Cardinal fan, I think they've just gift-wrapped the division to St. Louis, if St. Louis can work out their woes, because I don't think Cincinnati is going to take as big a step this year. Milwaukee has gotten significantly worse. I mean, they signed Reese Hoskins, but who cares? That's the, literally, this that's is a lateral a, move from Rowdy and, and I know, understand that Chicago um, made the moves that they did not the offseason, Bellinger and whatever, but and they signed the, the, the Japanese starter, but... I do not understand this from a Milwaukee standpoint. What what the benefit unless they've done their due diligence and think they can fix the L Hall. I do not understand. Anything to add to that before we, no, we talk about the Baltimore sense. standpoint. It doesn't make sense. And this is not the year in the NL Central that you want to get worse. No. Because you yeah. don't have to be that good to win the NL Central. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Like to me, it seems like they want to tear it down and just try and rebuild from the bottom. Like that's what it says to me. I just don't understand why you would give up your foothold in the division like that. Yeah, I mean, the only saving grace is because they have the number two prospect in baseball, Jackson Chirio, is going to be called up at some point this year. Oh, he's going to better make the team. The way they changed the service rules in Major League Baseball and the incentives that you get for. uh, what is it? Uh, I know Rookie of the Year you get a bonus for if your player wins Rookie of the Year. We're going to see a lot more younger players play this year because of how they, they amended the CBA, and I'm excited about that. But uh, anyways, I, I don't I don't want to dunk on Milwaukee for the next 20 minutes. I'd be happy to. <laughs> uh, for the Orioles, I would uh, like to think that Corbin Burns will be their opening day starter, but he will be the ace of this team. You've got Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, John Means is going to be healthy. Don't forget that John Means was a top five pitcher in baseball two years ago. And Dean Kremer as well. A slam dunk for the Orioles. You get a front of the rotation piece. You won 101 games. People wanted to know, you know, is this going to be sustainable uh, for the Orioles long term? Jackson Holiday is probably going to be your opening day shortstop. So, I mean, how much better can you get, Parker Stone? The number one prospect in baseball is going to be your opening day shortstop. Jackson Holiday is going to have a great season. I don't think he's going to be the AL Rookie of the Year, but I think he's going to have a great season. And you get the best pitcher in baseball. I mean, that's a pretty pretty decent offseason. I mean, we talked last season about the Orioles maybe trying to find a pitcher and having that centerpiece. You have that centerpiece now in Corbin Burns. He is a top five pitcher in baseball, and you got him for two prospects that were 25 years old and the 34th overall pick in the next draft. That's nothing. The biggest contingency on this for Baltimore is – is this a one-year rental for Corbin Burns, or can they find the way to get a long-term contract done? Because I believe he only has one year left on his contract. So that's going to be the biggest kicker in this deal for Baltimore, if they can get a deal done with Corbin Burns. And if they're able to win, which we think with the young core they have right now, this is a team that could, again, make another run in the American League. I don't see why Corbin Burns wouldn't want to sign a long-term contract with Baltimore, especially now this is a team with new ownership that is willing to make moves like acquiring Corbin Burns and open up the book a little bit and pay these stars what they're worth. And I guess the biggest question we could ask right now, are the Baltimore Orioles now with their top three pitchers, Burns, Bradish, and Rodriguez, is that a top three unit in baseball right now? Between top five, for sure. 
Top five for sure. It's probably got to be the best in the division. I mean, the Yankees have had an underwhelming offseason. Uh, obviously, Chris Sale's not in Boston anymore. And uh, obviously, the the um, Blue Jays had significant stock in the future of one Alec Manoa, and that is clearly yeah. becoming a, a bit of a problem for them. I But again, you look at this roster now, and we, I want to talk about the bullpen, which I think is the biggest glaring weakness of this team. But you look one through nine in their projected starting lineup, Everybody's got pop. You got three or four guys that can really run, highlighted by Gunnar Henderson, Jackson Holiday, and Cedric Mullins. You know, you've got that 30 home run ability from Anthony Santander. You talk about this team, and you mentioned that rotation. The easiest way to fix a bullpen is all right, we're going to get seven innings from Burns, six innings from Bradish, seven innings from Rodriguez, and we're not even going to have to worry about the bullpen. And at some point, at some point late this season, you're going to have a chance of getting Felix Bautista back. And, of course, you bring in Craig Kimbrell. But go ahead, Daniel. I was just saying, you know, by the way, now that you have Corbin Burns in your rotation, Tyler Wells goes to the bullpen full-time. Right. Yeah. So that's just another arm back there. That, that's, I mean, again, when you look at this team, the way it's constructed, they're good defensively. They run the bases well. Like I said, they've got pop. And now they've got good depth in their rotation. The bullpen is the biggest glaring weakness. Uh, they went out and got Craig Kimbrell, who I'm expecting to be their starter. Him and Cano, uh, Columbia, again, I, I, I'm i worried about relievers three through seven. Yeah. Um, that's going to probably have to be addressed at the deadline. Can I interest you in a lightly used Colin Holderman? Uh, no, you cannot. I thought you were about to pull an Aroldis Chapman line on us there. <laughs> Maybe him too. We'll see. Well, that's what he did last year. He was with a bad team with Kansas City and then turned around got Are you going to take that? He just called your team a bad team. We haven't played a game yet. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But, I mean, the big thing, Cruz too, out of all this is Baltimore traded away, what, the 63rd overall prospect in MLB Pipeline and then D.L. Hall, and you still have the number one prospect in baseball. You've still got three of the top 20 prospects in baseball and Samuel Basilo and Colton Cowser as well. You got a guy you just called up in Westburg not too long ago. Kobe Mayo is the number 30 prospect in baseball. He can yeah. play third or first. And which is a good point because I've watched, you know, as a big Cardinal fan, the organization be bursting with talent that you do nothing with, and then those prospects just expire. If you don't have room for them, consolidate them into yeah. elite talent. And yeah, that's and a great I, move. And again, I don't want to dunk on Milwaukee. I think Joey Ortiz is a great defensive shortstop. He's really not that good of a player. He's, I don't think he's deserving of a top I mean, he's 25 player. years old and exactly. still listed as a prospect in MLB Pipeline. I think that tells you enough. Exactly. And he's not going to play. Even though he's probably the best defensive shortstop in Milwaukee's roster, he's not going to displace Willie Adamas, who's also fine defensively. So I have no idea what Milwaukee's doing here. But the Orioles are not going to complain. As I mentioned, pitchers and catchers just a couple of weeks from that happening. And uh, Orioles baseball that we'll have all season long here on WEPM and WCST. We've got to break the take when we return. We'll get Parker's picks, and we will wrap up the show for the week. Maybe take a look at some national headlines on the other side. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Because a man is always capable. Make sure he understands the moment, because a man always understands the moment. And you know what else a man does? What? He says, give me my theme music. You're listening to Panhandle Sports Live. Final segment for the week of Panhandle Sports Live. Stay tuned. The award-winning Panhandle Live is coming up top of the hour. Also, another edition of Metro News Talk Line standing by at 10.06. But one more opportunity for Parker Stone to try to make you all a little yeah, bit Yeah, well, money. that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Prove it never fails. Never failed once. 
was not the hottest day for Parker's picks yesterday. Thankfully, the Cleveland Cavaliers saved us from the proverbial goose egg. But Jason Tatum, what are we doing? What are the Celtics doing? Boston Celtics, what are we doing? Don't know how they lose to a Lakers team without LeBron and Anthony Davis, 114-105. to 105, the final Austin on Reeves, that that's how. 32 that, points. Had an insane Bozo. game, <laughs> which shocked the heck out of me. D'Angelo Russell about had a triple-double against Boston. So Let's be honest. If you saw Austin Reeves at the rec center, you probably wouldn't pick him first. You know, if we're picking teams. You probably wouldn't recognize who he is, yeah. truth be told. <laughs> it's, yeah, not not sure how that happened last night. Laying a goose egg, Jalen Brown had an awful game. Just wasn't the game overall that Boston needs. Tatum only scores 23 in the loss. We mentioned a little bit earlier ago we were talking Nebraska with a big upset over Wisconsin, 80-72, to the final in that one. I picked the Badgers, so shout out to Wisconsin. I'm not – I. I, well, I was going to say I'm not picking the Big Ten. I am picking the Big Ten today, but I, I think one that's going to be able to hit on us instead of the inconsistencies of Wisconsin basketball. So for today, I'll go back to it. I got Iowa beats Ohio State today in Big Ten basketball action on the men's side. Yeah, I, I've heard things through people that I know that are Ohio State fans that are very irate with the status of Buckeye basketball at the moment. I'm taking the Hawkeyes to win this one at home. It's five and a half point spread, so if you want to take the spread, I don't hate it. I'm going to take Iowa outright to beat Ohio State today. I'm going to take Dayton to cover the spread against St. Bonaventure as well. i got the Flyers who are 21st in the nation right now, taking down the Bonnies and beating them by eight in their matchup. And i got a little bit of Ivy League basketball for you on your Friday as well. Princeton and Yale. I'm going to take Yale and the Bulldogs to beat Princeton outright in this matchup. It's at Yale. Belief spreads about three and a half favoring the Bulldogs in this one. So I'm going to take Yale. So, again, our lock for today, Iowa takes down Ohio State. Dayton covers the eight-point spread against St. Bonaventure. And I got Yale with a win over Princeton. Uh, you mentioned Yale, by the way. It made me think of that walking on their campus two years ago when Shepard opened up the season in Southern Connecticut State. Uh, the Shepard football schedule available now on their roster. They are beginning the season with a week one Thursday night game against Southern Connecticut State. And also the Martinsburg High School football team put out their roster today. Uh, you can find that over on our Twitter page, at EP Sports Network. Now, a couple of headlines I want to hit on before we uh, vacate the show for the day. Didn't really touch on Joel Embiid's injury. Uh, what appears to be a pretty significant injury to his meniscus uh, is going to cost him the necessary gains most likely to qualify to win MVP this year. A lot of people are saying that this award is now being handed to Nikola Jokic uh, with Embiid being his top challenger. Who in your guys' estimation now becomes the number? I think it's a consensus answer, but who's now the the second favorite for NBA MVP? Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Yeah, yeah so probably. The Shea, leap yeah. he's taken this year is just an absolute difference maker. Yeah, I was looking at uh, some some odds right before we, we uh, came in for this segment. It's Jokic 1, SGA 2, Luka Doncic 3, and Giannis 4. I mean, it's an underwhelming year for MVP because I don't really think – I mean, if we were to rank seasons – that Giannis has played, this might not even be... Call me crazy. Line. I think this has just been an overall underwhelming year for the NBA. I think that's a fair assessment. I I, I mean, we had a, a big emergence over the last two weeks with the 60-plus, the 70-point performance games. I think that's drawn a lot of headlines. But, hey, man, you know, when the Wizards aren't any good, people stop caring about the NBA. That's <laughs> what I always say. <laughs> uh, in terms of other headlines, Daniel, like Parker Stone alluded to, there's a pretty big upset in college basketball last night. Nebraska ball, baby. They are really hard to beat at home. Uh <laughs> Fred Hoiberg, the mayor, 
uh, leads his team into their home arena and they take down the number six team in the country. That's the Wisconsin Badgers, 80 to 72 on Casey Tominaga's birthday, by by the way, just saying. Uh, and, and this this Nebraska team has, has struggled away from home in Big 12, or excuse me, Big 10 play, but that's kind of the way it goes in the Big 10. They've been really good at home. This was the kind of year that Fred Hoiberg needed, and they're starting to get it. Like I said, Casey Tominaga, really good player that they got out of the junior college ranks. They've hit on some transfer portal guys, Rink Mast coming over from Bradley. It's a really interesting team, and if you have the opportunity to uh, watch the Cornhuskers at some point uh, this year, I would suggest you take that opportunity. Well, that's going to do it for us for the week, this edition of Panhandle Sports Live. If you missed any or part of today's show, we're going to be posting it on our Panhandle News Network Spotify coming up here in just a couple of moments. You mentioned high school boys basketball on tonight, Hedgesville against Musselman. That game will tip off uh, in the 7 o'clock hour. You can hear it right here on WBPM and WCST. Stay tuned. The award-winning Panhandle Live is coming up in just a couple of moments. For Daniel Woods, Parker Stone, I've been Luke Wiggs. We'll talk to you on Monday. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm going to change that tune. When I'm back on top, back on top in June, I said that's life. And as funny as it may seem, some people get their kicks stomping on a dream. But I don't let it, let it get me down. Cause this fine old world, it keeps spinning around. I've been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet. A pawn and a king I've been up and down And over and out And I know one thing Each time I find myself Flat on my face WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs A WVRC media station We're proud to live here too